Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you guys are having a fantastic morning. It's been a great week, had a great weekend. Let's go ahead and dive into this today. We're going to open up with prayer, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that, God, as you are with us today, that you are constantly for us, that you are not against us, that, God, that every, everything that you do in our lives and for us is to benefit, God. Even when you correct us, it's to benefit. Even when we don't get our way, it's to benefit. <laughs> God, even when you uh, are constantly are, 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 are leading us in ways that we are confused about sometimes, I just think that you're benefiting us in everything in our lives. In your name, amen and amen and amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and dive in today. If you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I did not prep the media guy, so we're going to give them some time. And we're going to start off in verse, uh, let's start off in verse 19 today. Acts 16, 19. Man, Josh is on point today. All right. It says this in Acts 16, 19, and just bear with us for the version's sake. But when their owners discovered their hope of a prophet was gone, pause, Paul and Silas were out ministering. They saw somebody that was presumably possessed. This person was not foaming at the mouth, throwing themselves on the ground. They were not vomiting pea soup. They were not, her head wasn't spinning backwards. In fact, what they were doing was seemingly a good thing. They were prophesying. And the weirdest thing at this moment is they were following Paul and Silas, saying things like, these are men of God. These are men of God. Like, I don't know why that would irritate me so much. If somebody's like, hey, you're a man of God. And I'm like, well, you're a demon. But that's what happened. There was something inside. And I feel like, just pause, sometimes uh, good things come from evil packages. Good is always the enemy of best. And a lot of times, we think that it's this whole issue of absolutes, this huge issue of God versus the devil. There's no God versus the devil. No one is versus God. At best, it's the devil versus Michael. At best. Because God, with a single word, threw out one-third of the angels, including Lucifer. There's no, there's no contest. It's like, it's like an adult fighting a two-year-old. It's not even fair. And so when we're looking at this, the enemy knows that if they show up with polar opposites, we are intelligent enough to differentiate the opposites. In other words, it's not like an angel and a demon pop on your shoulder and, and, and one says, hey, you should just, when somebody cuts you off, be nice and friendly. And the other one's like, pull out a gun and blow them away. Like, those are two totally opposites. And most of us are like, whoa, that escalated quickly. It's usually not that. It's usually something a little in the middle if you will. And, and I feel like a lot of times when it comes to the things that we're talking about, which last week we were talking about not giving up, 
continuing, per, per, persevering, not getting distracted on the things that God has for us. Uh, we use the analogy of, of eggs hatching that the chickens got up one day before. You remember that? One day before they were supposed to hatch and they lost their entire harvest. Now what's taking place in our lives a lot of times is it's not this huge enemy of against what we're doing. It's usually just something good. It's usually just something good. It's we're chasing after God with everything and a good job appears which takes you away from Sunday service. It's what you prayed for. It's what you wanted. It's I'm trying to provide for my family. And can I tell you, there's a difference between, let me hear you out, let me hear me out. There's a difference between you doing whatever it takes to put food on your table, working two, three jobs to survive, versus we don't need this. I'm choosing to go to the office so that I don't have to be with my family. Those are two totally different things. Well, I'm, I'm making a living here, aren't I? Can't you just be happy? But you're using your job to hide away. It's a good thing that you have a good job, but you're using it from the best thing, which your first priority is supposed to be your family. And what's happening in here in this case is that Paul and Silas are walking around hearing good things, but they were acute enough to recognize the difference between a good word coming from a bad spirit. And how many times in our lives are we walking around and people are saying the things that our ears want to hear, but it's from an evil spirit leading us down the wrong path? You should just keep going. You should just keep doing this. You shouldn't do that. You, should, you deserve so much better than this. And you're like, you know what? I do deserve better. I'm tired of this too. I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to quit my job because I don't deserve to work for this guy, this lady, whatever it is. And you have these reinforcements. You, you know what? You don't need to. No, just leave. Just leave. Just leave. You know what? I'm going to leave. And you leave and you can't find a job. And it's funny because those people who are giving you advice in that season of life typically aren't there to help pick up the pieces after it's fallen apart. Paul and Silas are walking around. I don't know where I'm going. Paul and Silas are walking around doing their thing. And they eventually come up to this person. They cast the demon out of them. And they awaken to who they're supposed to be. In their right mind. And this is where the verse comes in. And when her slave owners, verse 19, when her owners discovered their hope of a prophet was gone, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities in the forum. In verse 20, and when they had brought them before the magistrates, and they declared, these fellows are Jews, and they are throwing our city into great confusion. It wasn't that they were throwing the city into confusion. They just were upset that their pockets were not lining anymore. Verse 21, they encourage the practices of customs, which it is unlawful for us Romans to accept or observe. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack upon them, and the rulers tore their clothes off of them and commanded that they be beaten with rods. Verse 23, and when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. He, having received a charge, put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And all the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the very foundations of the prison were shaken, and all at once the doors were opened, and everyone's shackles were unfastened. 
crazy verse. And a lot of times, I've heard it preached that when you find yourself in a, in a prison of life, praise your way out of it. And I, it sounds like a good idea. It truly does. But I feel like contextually, that's not what the verse is saying here. It doesn't say, and Paul and Silas were in prison, and an angel said, if you sing hymns and praises, we will fight your battles for you. Paul and Silas, who, Paul and Silas had no guarantees of release by singing their hymns. I called mom because this verse kind of bothered me this past weekend. And it bothered me because I realized something that I've been believing wrongly. And that is this. They didn't sing to get free. They sang because they already were free. They may have on the outside be shackled up, but on the inside, they were free. On the inside, they were 100% at peace. On the inside, they knew where their standings were with God. On the inside, it didn't matter if they were beaten black and blue and had blisters all over themselves on the inside. They were happy because they were in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And in that case, they began to sing at midnight. Why midnight? Maybe because they just became conscious again. I don't know. There's nothing special about that time. But in that moment right now, I feel like a lot of times we find ourselves praising and singing and praying to get something, not because we are something. And that's the difference there. I have been praying, but God hasn't. I have been singing, but I haven't seen. I have been pushing, but I haven't gone through. And I think a lot of times our singing and our praying and our pushing are trying to manipulate something, not from a place of something. And that's the difference that Paul and Silas knew. Paul and Silas knew that they were sons of God and they were going to worship because it's who they were, not because it was something they were trying to get from God. If it was something they were trying to get from God, the moment the shackles loose, they would have been like, woo, and ran out. But they looked at the jailer and said, don't worry, don't kill yourself. We're still here and we're not going anywhere. In other words, they never had an intention to physically leave where they were at. Because even though they were beaten, even though they were abused, even though they were lied upon, they realized that that moment was their new ministry. They were spiritually sound enough to realize that even though physically and emotionally I'm in pain, spiritually I've got an opportunity. And many of us can't push through that. That's the heart of a warrior. A warrior isn't somebody who can pull a trigger against an enemy. A warrior is a man or a woman that can take adverse and crazy circumstances, and when everybody else quits, they keep pushing. That's what a warrior is. And Paul and Silas in this case, in this case were warriors. They didn't sing because they were getting something. They were singing because they were something. And that's where we start today. Who are you? Are you a quitter? Galatians 6.9 says very famously, if we faint not, do not quit, do not stop, do not slow down, do not give up everything, if you faint not, you will see. 
Galatians 6, 9 is so beautiful because it tells us there are going to be times you're going to want to quit. Edison says this, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success and then they gave up. I'm going to mention three names. I'm not even going to tell you their whole names. And I guarantee you, if I name these last three names, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Edison, King, and Bell. I don't have to tell you all their stuff. You know. You know these three men. You know these three men in and out. We've been taught these three men. We have lived these three men's uh, experiences. And these are three men who saw something in their heart before the world saw it. Thomas Edison had an idea of a world that could be illuminated beyond just fire, beyond just oil. Dr. King had an idea that the world is supposed to look completely different than it was currently looking like. Alexander Graham Bell had an idea of communicating further than an ear could hear. And because of these three men, we have the world that we have today. We wouldn't have the light bulbs like we have today and be able to be in this kind of place if it wasn't for a, a Edison. If Dr. King wouldn't have fought the fight that he had, we wouldn't have the multicultural church that we have now. And none of us can picture a church without having a multicultural church. If it wasn't for someone as great as Bill, who they could build upon the foundation of communication, we wouldn't have the internet to be able to live feed across the world. These three men had an idea, and these three men, can I tell you, had struggles. What about other men? Edward Jenner. Otto Vaughn and Fritz Sassman. John Bardeen, Walter Brennan, and William Shockley. Do y'all know them? We've experienced them. Edward Jenner invented the smallpox vaccine. Otto Vaughn and Fritz Sassman realized that you could take nuclear fission and turn it into energy. Because of them, we have both the creation and the destruction of nuclear power. People built upon them. John Brennan... Walter Brennan and William Shockley invented the semiconductor which every piece of electronics is used from. These men's names aren't known, but their impact is. In fact, they're listed in the top 20 greatest inventions of all time. These last three, the top 20 greatest inventions of all time, up there with fire and the wheel. But many people don't know who they are. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't quit. We have believed, if we will, that we are special. And can I tell you, in some ways you are, and in some ways you're not. I hate to burst that bubble. We have perpetrated this idea of narcissism in America that is unbelievable. These three men changed the world, yet no one hardly knows their names. So here's the per first thing we have to look at is, is our goal in life to make an impact or to have everybody serve us? These three men had the ability to be a difference maker, yet they were okay without the recognition. So today, our big question is, what is your dream? I didn't ask what the problem was. Ask what the dream was. 
This is not a pipe dream. This is not something that you decided to have last night and you're like, I'm going to live my life based on this one dream. I'm saying something that was deeply inside of your heart to be something different, to have something different, to be a change agent that no one else had. I'm not saying to be a YouTube star, to have a million followers. But maybe your dream is to have a different outcome with your family than your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents did. Maybe that's your dream. Maybe your dream is to be financially independent, where you're not dependent on all this, or getting out of debt. Or maybe your dream is to have your own small business or a large business. Maybe your dream is to have... What is your dream today that God has placed inside of you that you know is something that God has put before you? What is that? We talked about not quitting because David knew there was a cause. Your dream, the dream that's inside of you, the word that God has put inside of you is the reason to fight. That's the reason. Uh, my dad, uh, gosh, I hope he doesn't get bothered by me telling the story. In 2001, when they came to New Life and it wasn't looking good. It wasn't looking good. There was a mass exodus. It wasn't necessarily anybody's fault. Just the cards aligned. And I remember having a conversation with Dad, and I'm like, are, are you going to shut the, everything down? His answer to me was, no, I have a word. I'm like, that's cute. That's great. But what about enrollment? His words, I have a word. It'll happen. I have a word. 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 You know, when numbers weren't looking right, he had a word. When numbers looked great, he still had a word. When everything was fluctuating like this, he had a word. When COVID hit, he had a word. You know what that is called? Vision. Vision will supersede circumstances. So today there's five practical ways of not quitting. Number one, I need you all to take notes today. You need you to take notes today. This is one of those things that you can take, put on your refrigerator, so that when you walk by, put it on your mirror. Five things, five things, five things. Number one, first thing, and this is going to be super obvious for anybody who's been in church for a long term, but write it down. The word's very clear. Write the vision down and plainly so that he can run with it. If writing it down is too difficult... Your dreams are too difficult. If you can't take five minutes to write it down, ten minutes to write it down, an hour to circle it around, how are you going to survive the hell that's going to come later on in life? Coaches don't memorize the playbook. Have you ever noticed that? My word, how long has like Saban been coaching? 85 years now? But you know what he has? His cheat sheet. Always has it. Every coach that's there has a cheat sheet. Why? Because when things get rough, you don't want to make an emotional decision. He has a sheet. If it's third and eight, third and ten, third and twenty-five, first and five, these are the options that we have. They've already thought them out. On every single scenario, what we're going to be doing on these moments. And so when another team says, I want to check the tape, what they're doing is they're looking for the patterns, the habitual patterns that that coach will call 
when they're under the same circumstance. And the crazy thing is, 99% of the time, most of them are accurate. And then it's my bigs versus your bigs. Who's going to win? But you know what they do? He doesn't sit there and go, second and five. What do y'all think I should do? Run it? Pass it? Hey, let's take a quick survey. Put it on our Instagram poll. What, what should we do? Who should we hand the ball off to? Who's going to catch the ball? Are we going to do a quarterback sneak? Are we, what, what, are we doing a sweep? Are we doing a shuttleball pass? What are we going to do? What do you guys think we should do? They don't have those big conversations. They've already got them written down. Why? Because it was important. It's important. It's their life. This is the thing that you have to realize. A vision from God is your life. It's not an accessory. If God has given you a mission in life, it's not an option. It's your calling. It's the purpose of your existence at this moment. Moses, we look at him and go, he was called to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. He was called. He was great. He was all these things. Moses had a choice. Absolutely had a choice. You know, it's funny. As Moses had the Ten Commandments, got angry, threw them on the ground and broke them. God wrote them because they were important. And he said, come back up. We'll do it again. Rewrite them. Yeah, and this time Moses had to write them. You look at this and go, writing something down is important because when things get crazy, our feelings want to override our facts. Number two, you have to take a risk. Life is full of risks. The Bible says that faith without works is dead, and vision without risk is a pipe dream. Doing something with what you feel separates us from everyone else who just has a feeling. I can have an idea of a flying car. It's a great idea. I think everybody would love, who would love a flying car? You just get in your car, greatest idea in the world. Can I tell you, I'm not going to make it. But down the road, potentially somebody will. And I'm going to go, I had that idea first. Remember back in 21, uh, 2021, or, or yeah, 2021, uh, I preached about a flying car. How was my idea? Can I tell you? I can't sue him. I didn't do it. An idea without pushing through the idea is a pipe dream. Vision without trial and error is a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. You have to take risk. You take a risk going to work every day that your car is not going to explode. Every time you get into an airplane that the wings aren't just going to fall off. You take a risk every time you're at Target, at Walmart. You take a risk every time you communicate to your spouse so that they're not going to reciprocate. You take a risk at your job that you're going to have a job tomorrow. Life is full of risks. But for some reason, we calculate our risks based on what is culturally acceptable and what is not. 
Every time you play football, there's a risk that you're going to get hurt with every snap. I played football for years. Had a few concussions. It is what it is. I never broke my back playing football. But I did getting a desk down. Can I tell you? Life has got full of risks. Things can happen. And we take these risks based on our vision, not comfortability. And this is the thing we have to realize. A risk in the right direction, even if it fails, is still worth the risk. It's called falling forward. You ever seen a lineman or a linebacker or running back, whatever, get hit? The idea is when you get hit is to lean. When you know you're getting tackled, we want to fall forward. We want to extend as much as possible because where that ball drops, that's our new starting point. And what happens a lot of times in our life is that we're too afraid to take a snap and we take these delay of game penalties for the rest of our lives instead of taking a shot, getting tackled, and falling forward. Instead of first and ten, it's now second and eight. And then it's third and two. And then it's first down again. because we, And we're moving the ball down the field. Not every single pass is a touchdown. Not every single run is a touchdown. Every time you get up to bat, you're not going to get a home run. An unbelievable batting average is what, 365? That means two-thirds of the time you struck out. And you're a rock star. Jeez, you want some motivation of success. Look at a weatherman. I love him, but man. 50-50 chance. That's good odds. Being someone who's consistently moving forward is being someone who takes risks. They're calculated risks. They're not shot in the dark risk. They're not taking your money to the casino and gambling, hoping that you get blackjack. That's called stupidity. Every time Edison tried the light bulb, it was a risk. And I think it was like over a thousand times it failed. But every time, he had a new starting point. A little closer, a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. Jesus says that we count the cost before we build a house. What he's saying is, look at the risks, ask yourself if this is the direction you're wanting to go towards, and then do it. There's risks in starting a business. There's risks in trying your marriage to work. There's risks in seeing education, going back to school for the second time. There's risks in, in leaving one company and going to another. There's risks in all these things. But is the risks because you're tired of the bull from your boss? Or is the risks vision motivated? Making a risk out of emotional choices is not a risk, it's a gamble. And it's a gamble you can't make. You can't gamble with your future. Are we falling forward? Number three, get up. When it comes to chasing something like a vision... It's a marathon, not a sprint, and you're going to fall. And there's going to be moments that trip you up. When you start a business, there's going to be weeks or months that you don't see the profits that you expected. When you're trying to work on your marriage, there's going to be times when they're not reciprocating the way that you think they should. When you're trying to educate your kids or train your kids or, or whatever it is, teach your kids, there's many times they don't do what you tell them to do. 
over and over again. But the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and gets up eight. That's not just a sin issue. What that is, is are you going to get back up again? Are you going to get back up again and keep, falling, keep going? You have to keep moving forward. When you're, when you're playing football an entire season and you haven't been on the field the entire time, are you still going to two-a-days? We watched this past week, and I don't know all the details, but from the outside looking in, an Ohio State player lose everything. Did y'all see that? He was, thought he was going to get to play in a specific uh, package, and the coach waved him off. Told him to sit back on the bench. So what's he do? He takes his jersey off, throws it in the fans, slings his helmet, and walks in the, in, in the uh, locker room and says some stuff on Twitter. He gone. Then you can watch the comments from the fans and from everybody else. And it's over. It's it. And you're watching this whole thing unfold and go, <laughs> he took a shot. He didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get what he thought he deserved. And you know what? Maybe he did deserve it. Maybe he worked just as hard as somebody else. I don't know. But in that moment, he didn't get back up. He threw in the towel and quit. I understand that doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is insanity. It's not what I'm projecting. I'm talking about making adjustments every time. Every time the light bulb doesn't work. Don't do the exact same thing again. Make an adjustment. Every time you're trying to coach your kids up and they're not getting it, or they're doing the exact opposite, don't lose your mind. Back up. See the mountain from a different angle. Attack it again. 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 Every time Dr. King would get up, he wasn't always welcome with a warm welcome. His vision of a nation would keep pushing. It would keep pushing through persecution. It would keep pushing when people lost their lives. It would keep pushing when people tried to take his life. And can I tell you, it kept pushing after they took his life. That's a vision. That's a vision. With every obstacle, with every issue, with every time you felt persecuted, every time the numbers aren't there, every time somebody says something about you, every time you get a post or a tweet or a, or a, a word or a he said, she said, whatever it is, are you just going to quit? Keep pushing. Get back up again. I love what Mike Tyson says when, you know, they do these pre, pre-fight talks and everyone's jabber-jawing doing their thing. Mike Tyson for a long time wasn't a big Conor McGregor talking to the world kind of person. Maybe his lisp, maybe it was his hands. He didn't have to talk. I don't know. But one thing he said is everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) It's an incredible statement. But can I tell you, you can have a plan for when you get punched in the mouth. And it's called get back up. Because when you get punched in the mouth, you've got two options. Lay there and bleed or get up and fight. A person whose vision is stronger than death, like Dr. King, is unstoppable. 
Number four, get advice. Proverbs 12, 15, a way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs eleven four, where there is no guidance, a person falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Doing this alone is the worst thing you could do. I'm not saying everybody needs to be in your business, but you do need to have people that you can trust and advice that you can give. You want a successful marriage? You find somebody who's 20 years, 30 years into their marriage, and you talk to them. Not your drinking buddy. You want to go and start a business? You have a dream for a business? You have a dream for whatever it may be to be financially independent? You don't talk to your broke neighbors. You seek advice. You seek counsel. You talk to people. You do whatever it takes to get to that spot. I love this because... Uh, when you look at somebody's friends and you look at their circle, you can see their potential. You can see if they're going to outgrow their circle. Most people don't outgrow their circle. If all your friends are broke, busted, and disgusted, you'll be right there with them too. But when you start to, 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 to level up in relationships, two things will happen. Either A, your friends that you thought were friends will begin to separate themselves because they don't like who you're becoming. Or B, they'll pull up with you. You know, I've watched a lot of people in this building decide to become part of a church, become part of a, a family, become part of a unit. They got counsel, and you could see their life begin to change because they went from one thing to another. As soon as they started associating themselves with godly people, craziest things, they started becoming godly. You know it's one of the easiest ways to stop doing cocaine? Not being around it. Mind blown, I know. And here's what we are. We have this thought, I'm going to leave this group and be by myself. No, you leave from one to attach to another. Do not do this alone. Uh, a, a while ago, we had this idea of you get counsel. You get counsel. And a lot of people thought that counsel meant you needed to go talk to the pastor about everything. And we have unbelievably great, well-meaning men and women of God all across this nation and across this world. But can I tell you, they don't know everything. Be vulnerable for a second. You come to me because you want to start a business. I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to ask you, who are you connected with? What do you think I should do? I don't, I don't know. I have no idea how to, what you're going to be starting. Or, or, I have no clue. I would send you to Rusty. He's an accountant. He could at least point you in the right direction. He may not know, but at least he knows somebody who does. And that's the thing we have to look at. Not everybody's advice is always good advice. Not everybody's counsel is always good counsel. Connect to the right voices to get to the right spots in life. It's, it's a very hard thing for a pastor to say that they don't know. But I don't. I have degrees. I'm educated. But can I tell you, if Iris and, and Connie's daughter Maggie calls me for advice on her project, she might as well speak Chinese. I have no idea what she's doing. And if she starts calling about some kind of a biomechanical arm for a robot, I'm going to be like, like the Terminator? No, I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to pray for wisdom. You need to talk to a professor. 
That's not weakness. But if I said, you know what I think you should do? Use a Phillips head screwdriver. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Seek the right advice from the right people. Number five, this is super non-churchy, but I need you to hear me out on this one. Be a reader. I understand not everybody likes to read. Not everybody likes to succeed either. People who can sit down and read and meditate and chew on words and ideas are people who can take abstract thoughts and turn them into realities. Be somebody who reads. Be somebody who does something. I love reading biographies, taking somebody 70 years of their life, and in seven days I can watch their successes, failures, and how they thought through a process. Tom Corley, who wrote a book called Change Your Habits, Change Your Life, says that 88% of financially successful people read at least 30 minutes a day. 63% of those people listen to audio books during their commutes to and from work. He found that successful participants were also disproportionately likely to read nonfiction, such as biographies, history, self-help books, history, uh, regular history, science, career-related, and educational books. 85% of those read two or more books per month. The main driver of reading habits to his wealthy interviews was part of a dose of curiosity and willingness to explore their mind. 86% said they wanted to learn new things things. 67% of those people watch less than one hour of TV a day. Warren Buffett says, I read 500 pages a day. What? I'm not there, y'all. He says, that's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. All of you can do it, but I guarantee you, you won't. Be a reader. We like our ideas. I think we should do this. But I don't want to read about it. I don't want to see anybody else who's been to where I've been or where I'm going. We've lost that in our world. We are now entertaining ourselves versus growing ourselves. Somebody who wants to be a visionary in their family, to be a trendsetter in their family, to change the world their family's life, to be somebody who's going to be going from one thing to another is going to be somebody who does things that are uncomfortable. And real quick, there's five reasons why you can't quit right now. Number one, people are watching. There's a fine line between living yourself for other people's happiness and living, yourself to, living your life to impact others. I'm not saying that we take a poll and we jump through hoops. This is people-pleasing. Where we go through, I'm not going to make this decision because EJ's watching or because Alan's watching or because, you know, I, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? We live life in so many ways like that where we're trying to live our life based on the approval for everybody else. That's not what I'm saying. When I say live your life or don't quit because people are watching, what I'm saying is this. Remember that your kids are at a spot in their life where they're watching you and are you going to make it? We don't live our lives to make everyone else happy. We're living our lives with this mindset that people are watching because I'm going to be the one to show them that there can be done. People are looking for a hero today. They're looking for somebody that can do something that's impossible or they think is impossible. Be somebody who understands that people are watching. Don't quit because if we quit, we're not showing them what victory looks like. 
We have to see the win. I love the story of when the, the, the five-minute mile was broken. They thought physically it was impossible. Your body would just fall apart if it could run a mile in less than five minutes. Once it was broken, I think the next three years, like eight other people broke it. Once one person pushes through, everybody's mindsets change and they can push through. I was watching the, the, the football game yesterday, and it was interesting because the, the Alabama game was just getting out of hand. And you could just see the sidelines were just going, going nuts. And the announcer makes this statement. He goes, everybody right now wants a piece of the ball because they know they're going to score. There's this momentum that takes place when one person breaks through that causes everybody else to reach beyond their current potential. It's called momentum. When momentum is on your side and people are watching, they jump on the bandwagon with you. Keep pushing. Don't quit. People need you to keep pushing. Number two, if not me, then who? If I'm not going to be the one to change the family, if I'm not going to be the one to get out of debt for the kids, if I'm not going to be the one to be financially independent, then who's going to do it? We lived and we've been trained to not push because somebody else will bail us out. If we had the mentality that if I don't work, I don't eat, I think we would all start working. If it's not going to be me, then it's never going to get done. That's the heart you have to have. Pastor Allen makes that statement on a regular basis. I know Bill's heard it. Well, if I don't do it, it won't get done. Iris probably heard it. He lives by that. Whether it's fully accurate or not, that's his heart. So every morning he gets up to do something. Because he's not relying on other people. I understand there is an unhealthiness of being self-independent. I'm talking about being motivated to succeed. A person who is motivated to succeed understands no one else is going to do it for them. Just because they've put in years doesn't mean that they've been the best. Doesn't mean they're going to get the promotion. They understand they have to keep pushing. In life, in your visions, in your dreams, there's no such thing as tenor. You don't just get it because you've been alive long enough. It doesn't just happen. If it's not going to happen by you, then who? There's two sides to this that bother me. Number one, if it's not going to be me, it's going to fall apart. Secondly, that bothers me is this. If it's not going to be me, who's going to take my place? Esther was questioned with that by her, by Mordecai. If you don't do it, God will raise up another. I think David faced that same question with Goliath. If he wouldn't have killed Goliath, somebody else would have. Who's going to take your place if you quit today? Who, in the next five or ten years, are you going to watch live your dream? That's what hurts. When you get off and your eggs aren't hatching, but somebody else's are because you quit too soon. That hurts. That's a pain. That's a sting. Don't quit, because if it's not you, then who? Number three, you didn't need it to be easy. You just needed it to be possible. You're not going to quit because it's possible. If it was easy, everybody would do it. 
If it was easy, you would need to dream. If it was easy, you wouldn't need God. If it was easy, you would not ever quit. If it was easy, you'd have already been done. But it's not easy. It's possible. It's possible. That's the big difference between somebody else. Is are you looking for the easy way out? Or are you going to be somebody that shows that it can be done? Is it going to be hard? Yes. The amount of energy and the amount of time and the amount of resources that it took to build the first rocket is immense. And now you see someone, Elon Musk, who's living off of some of their experiments, making it so much easier. But if it wasn't for Werner von Braun and everybody else, he wouldn't be standing where he's at today. you got to realize this big thing is it's got to be possible. It's possible to be the one who's debt-free. It's possible to be the one that shows your kids uh, what, what happiness and joy looks like off of pills. It's possible to show somebody what it looks like to start a small business or a big business or whatever it is and be successful. It's possible to go back to school in your 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s and be the person. I, I'll never forget watching Mr. Turner go through school because he thought it was possible to graduate and be what he wanted to be no matter his age. And he did it. It's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. Number four, everybody quits. That's why you don't quit, because everybody else does. Because you're not everybody. The crazy thing, if we're going to be honest, is that most of us don't quit because we're crushed. We quit because we're complacent. Most of us don't have the diagnosis from the doctor that if you don't lose 20 pounds, you're going to die. That's motivation. Most of us are just a little overweight. We're a little in debt. We're not filing for bankruptcy. We're just a little bit. Our marriage isn't perfect. It's, it's, it's a little bit tense. It's the little bit. It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. There's not a single, I mean, I can't picture, especially more recently, America has the ability to rally at a moment's notice. It's incredible to see. How we can go from, I hate you and I hate you too, to we're going to fight together to go kill this person. Instantly. We have that ability. It's what we do. It's that whole brothers can fight back and forth, but anybody else picks on us, we're going to attack you kind of a deal. And that's what happens. That's what we do. And here's what's taking place in our lives, and many, many of us, is that we don't have this enemy to fight because it's the small temperature getting turned up on us. And we're just getting complacent. People don't quit because of one big blow. It's the thousand little blows that they quit from. I've watched this time and time again with finances, with relationships, with all kinds of things. I've seen it. I've experienced it. It's not the one big thing. It's the small things. And this is where we go. We don't quit because we're not average. Average people quit. I don't think that God created you to be average. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm not saying that you are something special than anybody else. That you are meant to be famous or to walk the streets and everybody knows your name. I'm not saying you're going to be that person who's got millions of influencers or followers. 
But a person that stops any cycle in a, in, in a family is a hero. A person who's known publicly or privately and changes their own family's life, that's a hero. A person who gets up every single day and goes to work and busts his or her butt to put food on the table because their parents didn't do it is a hero. A person that invests in their kids instead of just putting them before an iPad is a hero. A person that constantly does not quit because they're not normal is a hero. Everybody does the comfortable things. Everybody eats McDonald's, but more people would rather have a crockpot meal. And that's the thing you've got to realize. Is everybody going to poison us? Do I need to be more than just average? I'm not going to quit because I'm more than average. That's the heart. Number five, we don't quit because the job's not done. Paul says, I finished the race. The other day I was on the uh, treadmill and I don't typically set miles goals or time goal. I, I usually just put my, my calorie monitor on and I'm trying to currently slim down a little bit. And so I'm, I'm trying to burn X amount of calories. And I found myself, you know, I, I get bored. on the. Does anybody else get bored running? Like just running is just the worst. So the gym that I work out, they've got all these different types of equipment. So what I'll do is... I will go and do like 250 calories on one machine, 150 calories. On, just my goal is 500, and I'll just do a cycle because I don't want to be running indefinitely. And here's what's funny. So I caught myself. It would ask me, do you want to do a calorie burn? So I would type in, yeah, I want to burn 250 calories on this run. Ask me my height, my weight. Uh, they, I have my heart rate monitor on. It has all that information. It, com it communicates to the machine, and it tells me to go. So I just start running. And I'm running. And can I tell you, I was good. Honestly, I was good. I hit a 200-calorie mark. wasn't breathing heavy, a little bit of sweat, nothing crazy. But you know what was the weirdest thing? I thought, that's good enough. I'm bored now. And I had to fight between my ears for 50 more calories. And it wasn't 50 uphill calories. It wasn't stair climbers. It wasn't burpees. It was the same pace I had just currently been going. Probably three more minutes, maybe. But in my head, I went, that's good enough. And I realized, everybody does that. That's good enough. That's good enough. But to get to where I want to go, good enough isn't going to get me there. Because I realized really quick... It's not just a 50 calories that I'm dropping off because I'm going to be doing four different machines. And if I drop 50 on each machine, that's 200. That adds up. Your complacency adds up. Your quick stops too soon adds up. And then what's crazy is I'm watching people then go, I just worked out. I deserve Krispy Kreme. And here's the thing that we're looking at, is you don't quit because you're not where you're supposed to be. You don't quit because you're not where you're supposed to be. Don't quit. The job's not done. 
if you don't see the vision the way that it's done, then don't quit. It's not, Paul didn't go, I've got five more laps, but I'm good. I ran far enough today. I'm ready to quit. God, he knows my heart. He knows that I've taken some beatings. We're good. He doesn't look at that and be like, well, I ran a lot further than he did, so I win. You know what's crazy about a marathon? Is a marathon isn't about who ran the furthest. It's about who finishes. You can't say you ran a marathon if everybody quits early and then you just ran a little bit further than they did and quit. You ran a race, but not the marathon that you signed up for. And this is what's going on in our world, is that we go a little bit and then we quit. We get complacent. We fall apart. We do our things because we're finding ourselves okay with being okay. It is what it is. Is the motto of our world today. And the scary thing for me is, if we don't stop that cycle, we'll decline. Being satisfied with just being okay never stays there because the bar always gets lower and lower and lower. I y'all noticed that the quality of work has dwindled. And I know we want to blame cheap labor overseas. I'm talking about American work. Yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no craftsmen anymore. No one's putting the time in to be the best, to take pride in what they do. You remember those days? When somebody looked back at what they did and was like, that looks good. Now it's, I got to go. It's good enough. We'll put some duct tape over it. We'll paint over it. It'll be all right. I was watching this thing on, I love different shows, but there, he was doing this. It was an inspector's, and he was going and inspecting this house, and he's showing this half million dollar house. He grabs the handle, it shakes. He puts his hand on the staircase, the handles wobble. The toilet would wobble. The, the, from the tile floor to the hardwood floor, there was no uh, threshold piece. And in fact, when you look at it, you could see that there was, in fact, higher on one side and lower on the other side. The porch was full of trash because the contractor didn't care. He just let all his people throw his trash into the porch because no one would ever see it. The water hose, spigot, the pipe was too long, so instead of getting it, they just filled it with putty and caulk. The windowsill was chipped. Instead of replacing it, they put some putty on it and spray-painted the putty. It's a half a million dollar home. And I'm sitting there going, this is the world that we live in today. But a man will be known by his fruit. A successful man, a successful woman, is someone who doesn't quit even when the clock stops because they need to finish. They have to be that man, to be that woman, to do the job right. You don't quit because it's time to go home. You stop when the job is done. That's the person that will see the dreams that God has for them come to pass. 
That's the person that we have to be. We don't quit because it's not done. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that as we wrap this service up, that you open our eyes to our personal lives to see where we're falling short, where we're doing good. God, encourage us in the areas that we've been, been crushing it in. And God, even in areas that we've been quitting, becoming complacent, falling down, whatever it may be, God, show us that we can push back up that perseverance. Anybody here that doesn't have vision for their life, whether it's in their marriage, whether it's in their relationships with their friends, whether it's in their finances, whether it's spiritually, whether it's, uh, you know, economic, whatever it may be in their job, whatever it needs to be, God, I ask right now that you begin to awaken dreams inside of them again. The right to dream, to not isolate themselves, but to get connected to be the person that looks out for people, to be the, a, a bold leader, to be a reader, to be somebody who finds and devours information because it's what they need to be, where they eat, sleep, and breathe everything that you've placed before them today, God. Lord, I just ask right now that you begin to align them up, Father God. Awaken who they are. Awaken what's taking place in their dreams and visions inside of them. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.